Welcome to The Athlete and the NARP. I'm Jenna Daly, and I'm the athlete. And I'm Claire Fenton, and I'm the NARP. And if you don't know what a NARP is, then you're one too. Welcome to the second episode of The Athlete and the NARP. This week, we're going to be talking about the growth of women's sports and the increased efforts to market to female fans. But before we jump in, we're going to talk briefly about some current sports events that are just particularly interesting to us. And I like to start this off by doubling back and adding some more information to what we talked about in our first episode, which is that Stanford and Berkeley, two of the schools at the time of recording, who had not yet found a new conference outside of the Pac-12, have been extended an invitation and are going to join the ACC, the Atlantic Coast Conference, which is, again, a big geographic jump, moving all the way from the West Coast to schools that are along the Atlantic Coast, the East Coast. SMU, which is in Texas, also got an invitation. So the geographics of that are just imploding. And we talked about all the implications of that last episode. And there was a lot of backlash to this move publicly in Instagram posts and tweets that I saw announcing the move. So the move is not entirely unexpected, but it's also not pleasant to hear that it's actually happening. The first event I want to point out is one in Formula One. So just last week, well, I guess it'll be two weeks when you're listening to this, but at the Monza Grand Prix, Max Verstappen just won 10 consecutive Grand Prix, and that is a new record for Formula One, so some unprecedented history. There's a lot of talk in Formula One with drivers and just reporters and such criticizing or complimenting Red Bull and their team and how they really ran away with the season already, and it's been pretty cool to witness. Two brief pieces of soccer news that I'm finding interesting the first one is that the list of nominees for the Ballon d'Or just came out within the last couple of weeks. The Ballon d'Or, if you don't know, is soccer's MVP award, basically. And the shortlist for that came out. And one thing that stood out to me was Jude Bellingham, who is a 20-year-old midfielder for Real Madrid and plays for England's national team, was nominated, which is, for me, just unfathomable to think that someone so young would be nominated for soccer's highest honor at a sport that is so competitive globally. It's really just crazy for me to think about, and it makes me feel a bit unaccomplished lately. Just a bit, but I'm really happy for him. It's really exciting. I follow soccer a good bit, so I see him do interviews and follow him on social media. He seems like a really great guy. The second piece of news that was breaking just a few days ago, the president of the Royal Spanish Football Federation, Luis Rubiales, was caught on camera during the award ceremony for the FIFA Women's World Cup, pretty much sexually assaulting Spanish forward Jenny Hermoso during the medal ceremony. He was caught kissing her on the mouth, which is obviously a huge inappropriate breach. He was suspended by FIFA recently, and everybody was calling for him to resign, but he hadn't actually. And recently, on September 10th, it was announced that he would be stepping down from his position, which is Obviously great to hear. Very thankful that it happened. Unfortunate that it took so long for him to do that on his own and that it took so much pressure from outside sources and a hit to his career. But it's definitely a win for those women who had their incredible World Cup win 
overshadowed by such an unfortunate event at the awards ceremony. That was a lot of what people were talking about after the World Cup, not as much their performance. So I'm happy for them that they're kind of able to get that out of the way and that he's no longer going to be in power and in charge of Spanish football. But it's still unfortunate that it happened. And I'm glad that at least now it was taken care of in the best way possible and he no longer has any influence. My last piece of current events, I wanted to mention that the PWHL, which is the Professional Women's Hockey League, was announced a few months ago and they just finished their free agency period. So the draft will be September 18th coming up, which will be pretty exciting to see where that goes. I'm excited because there's a team in Boston, so maybe when I'm home, I'll be able to see a game or something. I think it's pretty cool. It's a very exciting time for women's hockey. Now to transition into what we really wanted to talk about today, the growth and increased marketing of women's sports and the increased role female fans are having in the marketing plans of sports organizations and the sports industry. The event that sparked an interest in this for us and made us really feel like we wanted to turn this topic into an entire episode was the fact that recently Nebraska women's volleyball broke the world record for the highest attended women's sporting event. They played Omaha in kind of a season opener tournament in Nebraska's football stadium, Memorial Stadium, on August 30th, and 92,003 fans attended, which is honestly incredible to say. There were a lot of videos going around afterward that I watched of the players and their coach who has really been an advocate for women's volleyball in the NCAA at Nebraska and the sport in general. Videos of him walking out with his players through the tunnel out onto the field. And they gave me chills. And to be honest, I even teared up a little bit at some of them. Just it was very emotional to watch those girls being an athlete at a school like Nebraska playing at that level. You train so hard. You work so hard. You're the best at what you do in the country. And to see them have that reception that type of crowd was unbelievable and incredibly heartwarming to me as someone who used to play sports in high school and honestly just as a female in general. It was very empowering to watch. Yeah, I agree. I remember seeing a video, I believe it was the coach, and saying something like, I've almost cried about five times today. And he was like, I keep tearing up. This is great. This is amazing. And yeah, similar to you, this was very, very heartwarming for me to see especially very impressive considering this was a college volleyball game. It wasn't even on the world stage. So that was really cool too because it was people our age doing this. And I even know that when the administration in Nebraska decided that this was something they wanted to do, try to play a volleyball game in a football stadium and fill it, they had set their expectations a little bit lower, I think maybe understandably. They actually did have someone perform at halftime, a kind of a halftime show like the Super Bowl. And the reason they did that is because they thought maybe people wouldn't want to come to see the game, but they'd be more enticed by the concert and buy tickets. But when they put the tickets on sale, they actually sold out within a couple of days, even before they had announced who was going to be performing. And so I think that really this game and what Nebraska was able to do just speaks volumes to the way women's sports have grown, not just within a female fan base, but with everyone. I mean, there were people of both genders at that game, obviously. And for me and Jenna, it really got us thinking about the rise of women's sports in recent years. When women's sports get mentioned, there's 
always an argument that comes up of, oh, the women's game is not as exciting. It's not as intense. Nobody wants to watch the women's game. And I think events like this, like Nebraska, a college team performing in front of 92,000 people on a football field really just shows that this is not the case. Even at the FIFA Women's World Cup this year, it broke records for attendance, for ticket sales, engagement, TV ratings, all of that. And those records were broken by a lot in some cases. There were over 1.7 million tickets sold for the games that were held in Australia and New Zealand. Australia versus Canada, one of the opening games, was the most watched TV program for Channel 7 in Australia. It had 4.7 million viewers. There were 25,000 fans in attendance over all the first round matches, which are the least important ones in the scope of the tournament, but that was a 29% increase over last World Cup in France in 2019. Just pretty much any number you could think of to track fan engagement and interest pretty much was broken. And I think that's really exciting to see, given that soccer is a global sport. It's a lot bigger outside of America than it is within. But we have this example from Nebraska and within American sports. And then we also have the Women's World Cup, which is breaking records globally with all the fans that we're watching as well. That was really exciting for me to see. And it does show that there's an audience for women's sports, first of all. It shows that they can be as exciting as men's sports. Leading up to the World Cup, actually, France's national team put out a really, really clever and interesting ad for the World Cup where they show clips of the men's national team performing moves in a game, scoring, just doing tricks. But it was revealed at the end of the ad that it was actually women's players, but they had photoshopped the men on top of them. So you think you're watching highlights from a men's game, but in reality, it was highlights from the women's game. And you were watching the female players the whole time. And you can't really tell the difference when you're watching. It doesn't really occur to you that this is anything. The, the quality of play, the style of play, the pace doesn't really look any different. It was a really clever way to get around the argument that is always thrown out about the quality of female athletes and the sports that they play. Another commentary on the perception and I guess covering of women's professional sports, there was a short YouTube video trending and it was hashtag cover the athlete where the video showed the differences in reporters asking questions to male versus female athletes. I really recommend looking at this video if you've never seen it because it is really interesting. You saw them asking male athletes questions like, what are you wearing? Or has your weight gain affected your performance? And you just see their reactions being like, are you kidding? <laughs> like, what are you talking about? Uh, one of them even ended his interview because he was so offended by being asked about his clothing. It really just highlights a difference in how women's professional sports are treated. I'd like to say there is a shift in starting to take them a lot more seriously, which I think is in part to investing in them, which Claire will talk about in a little bit. But this was a crazy video that you're like, wow, this is actually the reality for female professional athletes. It was really enlightening to see how male professional athletes reacted to those questions. Yeah, I mean, to your point, they are professionals. The questions they're being asked are not very professional coming from those reporters and journalists. And they kind of just have to play along with it and take it in stride or... Maybe they don't have to, but they feel like they have to. And you're right. It was very disheartening to watch that video and see these questions and the lack of respect for the amount of work they put into their craft, not just the way they look. And I think it goes to highlight the way that women's sports and female athletes are sometimes put on the back burner and not given a chance to shine or show what they can do or be treated as equals even in the sports industry. 
I know that Alex Ohanian, who is married to Serena Williams, he's spoken a lot about the importance of investing in women's sports. And he's actually called women's sports as a whole under-resourced, under-marketed, undervalued, underappreciated, and under-supported. He's been on record in interviews saying that investing in women's sports is important not because it's like, quote-unquote, the right thing to do, but it's just a good investment. He specifically talked about women's soccer a lot because he's a part owner of Angel City FC, which is Los Angeles's NWSL team. He specifically talked about how much women's soccer has grown in the U.S., both from the national team side. I mean, our women's national team is very good. They're tied the record for most World Cup wins, men's or women's, with four. And just from the NWSL side as well, the way that league has grown within the U.S. Angel City FC, for example, when it was first being started in its inaugural season, it sold 16,000 season tickets. And there was a 90% renewal rate for 2023, this season that's going on right now, which far exceeded everyone's expectations. And Angel City actually has more season ticket holders than the LA Galaxy, which is the men's equivalent Los Angeles team in the MLS. And that team once had David Beckham, Landon Donovan, Zlatan on it. Big name stars. David Beckham and Zlatan being some of the biggest stars in the world. LA's NWSL team has more season ticket holders than the MLS, which, again, speaks volumes to how popular women's sports can be when given the chance and given the money. That's also an important aspect. Ohanian even mentioned that the team had hoped for like $3.25 million worth of sponsorships, and they ended up getting $11 million worth, which, again, far exceeded their expectations. And there's also a lot of professional male athletes that have shown their support for women's sports and see the importance of investing in these teams. Like, for example, James Harden of the NBA, Kevin Durant of the NBA, Eli Manning of the NFL. They're all part-time owners of NWSL teams, and clearly they see the value in investing in women's sports. Giving women's sports a chance is really so, so, so important and not just dismissing them out of hand. I think people now say, okay, attendance records of female sports or the amount of fans at women's sporting events, they don't even come close or they don't eclipse that of men's sporting events. So why should we invest in them if they're not making us enough money? But that's kind of a backwards argument because leagues need investment in order to become strong and have robust attendances. People forget that. Like the NBA, which is a global league now, Michael Jordan is synonymous with pretty much American sports, not even just basketball. He's one of the biggest stars in the world. The league that he is from was not super successful when it first started out. In its inaugural season in 1946, four out of the 11 first teams in that inaugural season lost a lot of money and were really, really close to just folding completely and just not even existing anymore. They actually had to decrease the number of games in a season by 20% because teams weren't even making enough money to cover their travel expenses. And even in 1981, which isn't that long ago, not long before some of the most famous NBA stars started playing, multiple teams were up for sale and in danger of imploding and being out of the league altogether, including some teams that are really famous today, like the Pacers, the Nuggets, the Pistons. In today's money, they had almost $50 million in losses for the 79 to 80 season. And again, those are big name brands today. So again, people saw the value in investing in a league like that. People fought hard to keep it together and look where it is today. 
the same type of logic needs to be applied to women's sports. A lot of these leagues are just starting out. They're in their inaugural seasons. Women are historically underfunded. They aren't given as much time and energy into promoting their teams, training athletes, or giving them the resources they need to be successful. And they're still putting on a show and achieving at the highest level internationally, globally. And people still want to see them do their thing. These things take time and it's important to continue investing and seeing the value and putting the work in to give them the space and the resources they need to grow and to equal the men's industry. Because when they're given the chance, they're capable of doing it. I think it's time to raise the expectations when it comes to women's sports. I mean, to go back to Angel City, they hoped for $3.25 million and then they raised eleven. That's crazy. That's more than three times. So I think it's time that we raise the bar and we raise the standards for women's professional sports. And I don't think we should be surprised when famous male athletes are investing in that. We should be expecting them to invest in them because many people invested in them and in their dreams. And like you said, the NBA seriously had a real issue until people took it seriously. And so it's time that people take women's sports seriously. I think even at the individual level, athletes have shown that they have value and that brands believe in them. And I think this has been especially important for female athletes. I know NIL, I think for college athletes, certainly it's probably been monetarily more beneficial to male athletes. But there are quite a few female athletes who have gained big sponsorships. For example, I like basketball, so I follow a lot of female basketball players. Paige Becker from UConn, she's a guard for UConn. She just signed with Nike not that long ago. And she's still in college. Like, that's a big deal. Nike's a massive brand. Even before that, she had Gatorade, Crocs, Chegg. Those were just a few of her sponsors. So she was making a lot of money off of these sponsorships as a collegiate athlete. And then Jocelyn Allo, who was probably the greatest softball college player ever. She played for Oklahoma. She was the home run champion. She had Chipotle while she was still in college. So I think NIL is also opening the door and showing that brands see value in investing in female athletes even before they reach the professional level. There's also something to be said about female representation and role models when it comes to branding and marketing. A couple of sports companies, including Under Armour and Nike, have been doing this in their ads. Nike has been really prominent in their support of progressive sports movements, but really specifically women's, like women's athletes and women's professional sports. So when we were researching, we actually found Under Armour had this ad with Missy Copeland where she read her rejection letter from when she was younger to this dance academy. The ad was basically saying just stick to your gut, stick to your heart, do what you know you love to do and work hard. That ad generated $600 million in revenue for them, but also a 60% increase in their women's business, which those are absurd numbers. 60% increase in business is really, really uncommon. Jenna's in the B school here. She would know. (laughs) And then there's also Nike's Dream Crazier ad with Serena Williams that followed up their Dream Crazy ad with Colin Kaepernick a few years ago. The Dream Crazier ad generated almost 32 million views during the night that it was released at the Academy Awards. That night, it owned almost 43% of the night's digital buzz. So that means all the posts that night, any clutter on the internet or social media, 43% of that was talking about this one singular ad. So 
there's something to be said about core corporations and companies highlighting women's athletes, part of it might be revenue driven because even though it's not just about the product, but you're still thinking about the product when you see these ads and you're going to be like, oh, I need shorts or something. And then you're like, oh, well, I saw that ad. And then you start thinking of the company. So that's what you go to them for. But that ad also shows that they're taking women's sports seriously and they do want to highlight female accomplishments. And Nike and Under Armour specifically have been working to unravel the stereotypes and the negativity surrounding women's sports, which is really important for people to see. For me, just as a female, and I guess as someone who is fairly athletic and likes to keep up with sports, although I am a NARP, I do like to keep up with sports. And I do think that Nike and Under Armour commercials I am their tar- I'm part of their target audience and it feels really good to see female representation happening even when it's not even in a sport that I play even even now when Jenna was talking about the different ads that sporting companies have done I can think in my head of the times when I've seen athletes like Serena Williams and Allison Felix and that Misty Copeland commercial I vividly remember the first time I saw it when I was probably in middle school we even we watched it again just to recap for ourselves and remind ourselves of what that ad was like and just thinking how strong she is. I remember sitting there thinking that and even though she's in maybe in a sport like she's a ballet dancer, which maybe some people would look down on as being, you know, some people say, is dance even a real sport? Is it even worthy of the same amount of attention because it is dancing, it's associated with females and being feminine? I mean, in that commercial, she looks incredibly strong and athletic. And it's inspiring for me to watch those commercials and see that representation. Probably one of the biggest standouts for me when I was younger, and honestly, even now, the women's national team, they didn't quite live up to the expectations in this year's World Cup, but the commercials that they would have, particularly as a team, but also some standout players like Alex Morgan, Megan Rapinoe, players like that. Those were always incredibly inspiring for me to see these women being the best in the world at what they do and getting to watch those commercials. It made me feel like achieving at that high of a level was something that was within my reach. And I'm thinking I want to be like them. And that's invaluable to young women, but even honestly for me today. And it's so, so important for companies to be producing those types of commercials and doing that type of marketing because women are half the population. So there is a market out there for them. Yeah, exactly. And to pivot a little bit to focus more about marketing to female fans within professional male sports, there has been a large increase of female fandom. And so in this one report that we had found by NYU, they were talking about how women spend about 80% of all sports apparel dollars. 80%? That's not even close to half. Um, that's, that's a clear majority right there. So they also spend the majority of money on other non-apparel related sports, accessories, and et cetera. So that's something really important to note. It's also the viewership of sports when it comes to female fans uh, there's been a huge increase with young female fans especially gen z women for example watching the nba there's been a huge uptick in that one example that i find a little fascinating was formula one just announced this year that 40 percent of their viewership are young women which is up 32 percent from 2017 this is partly due to netflix with the docuseries Drive to Survive, talking about the teams and the drivers, 
But I think there's something really to be said there because there isn't a single female driver in Formula One. So not only are women's professional sports on the rise, and of course women are supporting those, but women in general are starting to follow sports more. Now these companies and organizations are running into the issue where they don't really understand how to market to a female fan, which it's laughable to us, but it's actually a true issue. So one thing that really caught my eye, I saw a couple of tweets saying that the in-person experience, like going to games and watching sporting events in person, they they aren't super enjoyable as a woman. It's kind of the assumption that if you're going to one, you're there because you think the players are hot or because you're there with your boyfriend, fiance, husband, who whoever, just with a guy, no matter who they are, but with a guy and you're not actually there because you like the sport. One thing I thought was important to mention was in the MLB, there's a lot of teams that do this. They call it ladies night. And most times these events are associated with manicures and massages and pink clothing and free champagne to try to appeal to their female fans. But we have to question, is that really what people want? Is that a reason that female fans would choose to go to a game? Because for me personally, yeah, that's pretty cool. I mean... I would love a manicure. (laughs) I don't know. Who wouldn't? But I would also just like to have a discounted ticket with a free hot dog and a soda. It doesn't need to be pink and gold and with glitter. It doesn't need to be a tiny tank top. It's just I want to be there for the game, for the fun atmosphere. And I I think they're almost overthinking it a little bit and trying to target their audience a little too specifically in a way that's backfiring. One example was the Round Rock Express, which is the AAA team associated with the Rangers. They hosted a ladies' night, and the proceeds from their manicures that they did offer went to nonprofits supporting women's rights agendas. They also hosted a bunch of local female-owned brands at the event that people could buy things from, which sounds great in theory. <laughs> what what ended up happening when they marketed it was that it was marketed with a pink and gold banner with a really swirly script on it. So people really honed in on that and pretty much were like, really? This is exactly what we criticized about these lady events. So I think there's still some work to go when it comes to that. But the idea behind it was good. I mean, donating to nonprofits and supporting female-owned brands, I think that's a step in the right direction. I think if they really focused on that, and it's unfortunate that their marketing went awry, but that could be a lot more successful than a traditional ladies' night and really bring in those female fans that they're trying to target. As I'm hearing Jenna talk about this topic, it's drawing some parallels for me being a woman in a STEM field I'm a data science major here at Emory, so I take a lot of computer science classes and quantitative classes. And my classmates and my professors are usually male, and it can be intimidating sometimes, even though I know that I'm fully capable and just as smart as anybody else in the room. It can be intimidating to know that I'm going into a career path that is dominated by men. It just is. And I think Sometimes sports can be like that for women where they really want to be a genuine fan, but it really is a boys club a lot of the time for some sports in particular. I think maybe an extreme example might be F1. It's it's about driving cars really fast. It's loud. It's 
all men, like Jenna said, that are in it right now. So, you know, there's these adrenaline rushes, uh, Ferraris, McLarens, like these things that are where people would say, oh, guys would be interested in this. Guys would be interested in this. So it's a guy sport. Well, clearly women are interested in it too. And for me, at least, it doesn't matter how you get into it. If they got into it because of Drive to Survive, great, that's fine. There clearly there is a viewership for the actual events itself, not just the Netflix show. So they should be treated, obviously, from a marketing perspective. When you're marketing to different types of people, you do treat them differently. There are different ways you go about it. There is a marketing strategy. We understand that. But they just don't need to be so extra about it. You know, like female fans can just be fans of the sport just like men are. Like Jenna said, you don't need to overthink it. You don't have to overthink it so much. We're there. We're legitimate fans. And we're there for a reason because we enjoy watching sports. Your point made me think of when you when you tell a man that you're a fan of a sport or a team and they're like, oh, well, name five players on the roster. And it's like, okay, well, that's easy. I could give you the whole roster. <laughs> and then they're like, okay, well, name the general manager from 1972. And then you're like, well, do, do you even know that? <laughs> if, if you do, then... Do you do you have hobbies? I like I don't know. That's yeah. A little is that a really a marker of what a true fan is? <laughs> exactly. I don't I don't think it has a lot of merit to it. And it's just it's really odd when you want to be really into a sport and really passionate, but then here are these people kind of criticizing and downplaying your fandom just because you don't know a random trivia fact that they probably found on a baseball card. Yeah, I don't know exactly how to explain it but watching women's sports feels different for me like in in the best way possible I feel like it's this sense of community yeah yeah I agree and it's not just women in the community it's for everyone and specifically I'm thinking of the stuff that I follow um, I'm mostly thinking of the women's national team just watching them I mentioned it before but Watching them perform at such a high level and be unabashedly who they are on and off the field, even though they are female athletes, feeling like they wanted to use their platform to stand up for things like equal pay outside of just going out there and doing what they do best. That was so inspiring to me and made them so fun to watch. And watching female athletes in individual events, for example, at the Olympics, like watching people like Shakari Richardson or I mentioned Allison Felix. I Loved her a lot when I was growing up. Even swimmers like Katie Ledecky, who beats people by multiple minutes. She beats people who are, quote unquote, the best in the world at what they do from other countries, from America, too. She beats everybody by minutes. Like if it was a male athlete beating people at the level that she was and still is beating people, they would be the most famous athlete in the world. And I'm not sure how many people know about Katie Ledecky, but more people should because she is genuinely one of the greatest swimmers we've ever seen. She's doing things that Michael Phelps didn't even do. Yeah. And a lot of people don't know that, which is absurd. If if you don't know her, look, look her up. Look up Katie Ledecky. She's an inspiration to me on so many levels. She went to Stanford for a couple of years. That's one of the best academic schools in the nation. And... Their swim team is incredible as well, obviously, if they had her on the team. But that's extremely impressive on its own, competing for 
a swim team like that, but then also being putting yourself through classes at that level of academics and being so, so dominant, not even as someone who's super experienced in the sport, has multiple championships and Olympics under their belt as a teenager, like as a young 20 year old. Her first Olympics was when she was 17. Like, that's insane. Yeah, that's crazy. And so it's like people like that where maybe they're not marketed enough. Maybe. I I don't know what it is. But more people should know about Katie Ledecky and of both genders. And they should aspire to be at that level of confidence, boys and girls. And I feel like maybe that's just not shown enough and that there aren't a lot of men out there who aspire to be like someone like that, even though they absolutely should just because she's a woman. And again, they should because what she's doing is just being completely dominant, like clearly the best at her game and at what she does. I mean, I always say this about people who say something like, oh, I can never watch soccer. Like, it's so boring. I hear that a lot from people, especially in the U.S., because I mean, I get it. Soccer's not as big as sports like football, basketball, baseball. But when I hear people say that, I just say, well, you're missing out. And I feel like the same way about women's sports. If you say, oh, I'll never watch women's sports. I don't like watching women's sports. It's not as exciting. Just plain and simple, you're missing out. I mean, in in my opinion, if you're a sports fan, you should be interested in all types of sports. If you're a sports fan, you should be able to enjoy it all. And if you don't, then maybe there's something else that's wrong there. For this week's Fun Friday, we're going to play a little game that we're calling Who Said What? And how's it going to work is that we each picked out three different quotes said by professional athletes from different sports. And we're going to quiz each other to see if we can guess who said it or what it's about. So feel free to play along at home if you would like. Would you like to start? I can start. Okay. So the first one I have here is kind of a two-parter. There's a little conversation happening. Uh, The first tweet is from a fan named Jennifer Williams, which I promise is relevant. She said, win a playoff game, then talk. That's directed at an athlete. Uh, I'm not going to say who it is, obviously, uh, because the athlete responded and said, I'm trying, Jennifer. So (laughs) your options for who said this, it's an NBA athlete. A, James Harden. B, CJ McCollum. C, Damian Lillard. Or D, Trey Young. Oh, I'm trying to think because I feel like I've heard this one before, but... I cannot remember who said this. Um, I'm going to go see Damian Lillard. Unfortunately, you're incorrect. It was Uh-oh. CJ McCollum. And he tweeted this August 15th, 2018. So quite a few years ago, but it just cracks me up every time. So I'm trying, Jennifer. Aren't we all? Aren't we all? <laughs> all right. My first one is from the NHL. So mine is also a conversation where someone said, you can dress him up, but he's still the troll. Hashtag Boston bums. And then he responded, tell your wife to trim her whiskers. She looks like a muskrat. Whoa. Yes. (laughs) So was it A, Brad Marchand, 
B, Charlie McAvoy, C, Patrice Bergeron, or D, Sidney Crosby? Okay, very cleverly put together. It was not Sidney Crosby. Um, <laughs> I Jenna's a Bruins fan and I'm a Penguins fan. Sidney Crosby is the Penguins captain. He is the least social outgoing guy that I know. I don't even know if he has social media or not. So it was not Sidney Crosby. I hope that it's Patrice Bergeron. That's going to be my guess just because I, I don't know who the second guy is. I do know who the first and third are. And I'm just I'm just hoping that it's Patrice Bergeron because I think he's kind of a cold dude. So I'm hoping he said that. That's my answer. Unfortunately, no. Bergeron is a class act. Oh. He he was the captain until he just retired. So it was not him. He normally doesn't have anything negative to say about other people. It was Brad Marchand. He is known for his trash talking on the ice. Apparently, he's actually really annoying to play against, according to other teams. So I think he posted three tweets in total and then deleted his Twitter. But each of them is iconic. Honestly, good for him. That's way leave your mark. Yes, exactly. <laughs> okay. So uh, my next one is football related, but it's not NFL. It's college football. So I have a tweet here from at Cordale 10 from 2012, a while ago. It says, why should we have to go to class if we came here to play football, all caps? We ain't come to play school, all caps. Classes are pointless, all caps. This would, I feel like, be impossible to guess who said it. So what I'm going to have you do is just guess what school this fine young man went to. A, Georgia, B, Penn State, C, LSU, or D, Ohio State? Ooh, tough one. Purposefully tough. Yeah, I thought, I don't know, I thought it was going to be like a list of really academic schools and then I'd just be like, oh, well, I never picked that and it would be that one. Nope, not that easy. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to pick Ohio State, D. Any particular reason? Um, no, no, just a gut feeling. Okay. I, I don't know. Maybe, yeah, just a gut feeling. Okay, well, trust your gut because that would be correct. Nice. <laughs> I, I don't know. I kind of feel like that was in my subconscious somewhere. I, I feel like I've heard that, but I don't know where, why, when. Yeah, I mean, like I said, that was from 2012, which is over 10 years ago. Yeah, I just think that's a great 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 tweet i had never heard it before but it's kind of iconic for me my second one is from f1 this was a post-race interview with one of them so he said before a race people always ask me if i have any pre-race rituals i tell them i usually just spend a few minutes visualizing the crash i'm going to have in turn one so really confident going into these races of course but was it a, Lando Norris, who drives for McLaren. B, Charles Leclerc, who drives for Ferrari. C, Daniel Ricciardo, who is currently out with a broken hand. Or D, Yuki Tsunoda, who drives for AlphaTauri. So Jenna actually got me into F1. I wasn't really into it, but uh, I mean, not to be stereotypical, but she was like, you got to watch Drive to Survive. <laughs> and so I did and I'm into it. So I am a pretty recent fan. I don't know everybody super well, but 
I do know this feels like Daniel Ricardo. I'm I'm glad you made it a little maybe just unintentionally easier on me. Like if if Daniel Ricardo is correct, because I know Max Verstappen is also super sassy. And so I was like, oh, if Max is on there, too, this is going to be tough. But just based on the sassiness that I've heard from them in interviews, Daniel Ricardo was the only one out of the ones you gave that gives off that vibe. So that's my answer. That is correct. Let's go. <laughs> and it's funny that you said that because if you knew a little bit more about F1, I actually did pick the sassiest people. So Yuki Sonoda is known for, well, I guess when you get into the later seasons of Drive to Survive, uh, you'll hear his radio. He gets really angry really quick. And so he'll yell. And it's really funny because he's he's really aggressive. So sometimes he'll say some out-of-pocket things. Same with Lando Norris. Um, I really like Lando Norris. <laughs> he, yeah, he's funny. He's pretty wacky in his interviews. But... Yeah, he like you said, he's not super sassy. He's starting to be a little bit with Oscar Piastri, who is a newer driver for McLaren and F1. They kind of got this little bromance going on, and it's pretty funny watching them get a little bit more comfortable and out of their shells in their interviews with each other. Then I put Charles Leclerc there because he seems to crash a lot. And I thought that might be kind of funny uh, because I highly doubt he would ever say this. He takes racing a bit more seriously than I think Ricardo does. But he does have a habit of crashing into the walls, especially this season. So I think it's a little fitting. I considered him for a second because of that. And I know that especially recently he's not been having the best luck. And so I was like, OK, maybe he was super irritated and said that. But OK, OK, I'm glad we both got one here so far. My final tweet, you're just going to be filling in the blank. So the tweet itself is blank, season three, and then a black check mark emoji. And so basically just saying season three of the show, good. Uh, this was tweeted by Christian Pulisic, who is, I guess is kind of, you would say, like the star boy of the U.S. men's national team. He plays for AC Milan in Italy now, but um, he tweeted this. And so what was the show? So was it A... Gossip Girl, B, Pretty Little Liars, C, Gilmore Girls, or D, Riverdale. That's crazy. <laughs> Those were not the shows I was expecting, so that's a good one. Yeah, I, I'm not going to give you what year it's from either because I don't want to give it away because the year definitely would. Okay, well, I think I think Riverdale falls apart after season two, so I'm going to be really sad if it's Riverdale. But I, I don't think it is. I I watched Gossip Girl a long time ago, and I did get to season three, but I stopped watching it during season three. I don't know. I, so it's not – I feel biased with that one. And then I've never watched Pretty Little Liars, and I watched one season of Gilmore Girls. Um, so something something tells me it's Pretty Little Liars. It's actually Gossip Girl. No way. Yeah. And I will say that this one, I didn't come up with it on my own. I follow soccer more than Jenna does. And there was a TikTok from the U.S. men's national team where they asked the players on the team who tweeted this, actually. And it was really funny because some of them guessed it. Some of them didn't. But I was surprised at how many of them and their answers were like, oh, that's a great tweet. I love Gossip Girl. Like, Literally half of them were like, that's a great show. That That was so good. Which I agree. I also love Gossip Girl. I think it's an iconic show. So I'm glad that they enjoy it as well. 
My last one is a really intelligent quote from someone in the MLB. And the quote is, 90% of this game is mental. The other half is physical. Okay. I have definitely heard this before. I don't think I'm going to know who said it, though. So give me the options. Okay. So A is Babe Ruth. B, Yogi Berra. C, Jackie Robinson, or D, Hank Aaron? Wow. Okay. Uh, I wasn't expecting that they were going to be historical figures. Okay. There's no way it's Jackie Robinson. I'm I'm just going to throw that out there. Um, I also don't think it was Hank Aaron. I don't know exactly why I think that. I guess maybe because we're in Atlanta now, I feel like I would know if Hank Aaron had said something like that. I know Babe Ruth was kind of a loose cannon just as a person. Okay, I mean, Yogi Berra is the person where, like, I know the least about him. But for whatever reason, I feel like maybe it was him. So that's going to be my guess. And I'll, I'll follow up. Like, if, if that was correct, then I'll follow up on that. It, it's correct. Okay, so does he have, like, yogiisms? Is that a thing? Does he have a lot of those quotes? <laughs> yeah, yeah, he has a lot of those quotes. Okay, so maybe that was ringing a bell somewhere, like, deep in my subconscious when I was younger maybe my dad had told me about that yeah that is correct so you you got two for three well one second though was he was that said in all seriousness or like was he joking on honestly I I don't know I mean I when I looked it up it was a bunch of yogiisms and I found a lot of quotes like that okay so not a good look for athletes uh, well MLB players if he was being serious there yeah, not sure what the context of the quote is. Um, but yeah, Jenna Jenna went one for three, which was better than I was expecting. I agree. Yeah, agreed. And me two for three, obviously. You agree for me? Yeah, yeah, I agree. I mean, I wasn't sure because I know you don't you don't know as much about the particular athletes and stuff of like the NBA and soccer. So I was I was kind of like, I have to try to make it a game. And like, I, I, I thought you got the hardest one correct, honestly, pretty much that Ohio State. I was like, I don't know if she was going to guess that, but she did. I guess if we're keeping score and we're keeping track, I won. Mm-hmm. Right. But uh, this is really all in good fun. Yeah. I mean, all in good fun. We'll, we'll have to have another competition at some point, of course. Yeah, we will. Don't worry. There will be a part two. Thank you for listening to the second episode of The Athlete and the NARP. We hope you enjoyed our discussion about the growth of women's sports the increased efforts to market to female fans, and our fun Friday game of Who Said What. Make sure to follow us on Instagram and TikTok at The Athlete and the NARP. You can contact us by email at theathleteandthenarp at gmail.com with content suggestions, clarifications, or questions. Until next time, I'm Claire Fenton. And I'm Jenna Daly. And this has been The The Athlete Athlete and the NARP. NARP.